0: Our reading tonight comes from Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 5 through 7. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of you into a Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Good evening. man told the story about the first time he returned from Haiti on a mission trip. explained the airport was kind of small, the kind where you would walk out to the plane. Uh, and he said even at that time there was an observation deck where the people could um, watch the planes come and go and even wave goodbye to people as they were leaving. So he was on his way out to his plane, and he noticed some people, total strangers to him, who were were waving at him and and saying things. And of course, they were speaking Creole, not English, and so he didn't know what they were saying. But he just looked back and says, no, no, I've, I've got to go. Sorry. Uh, and turned around and went toward his plane, but they kept even louder, saying more and more. And and so this time he replied again, but he handed up a little bit. He said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know this is rough for you, but I have to return home, knowing that they couldn't hear a word of what he's saying. He says, I know you're going to miss me, but the United States desperately needs me. And so they just keep yelling, and finally hears one voice in English saying, you dropped your passport. And he looked to see, and sure enough, the wind was blowing it. He went and caught it and was able to get on his plane, knowing that the other side, two hours later when he landed, it would have been difficult, if not impossible, to get through customs. The right credentials matter a lot. Ross Broadbure wrote this about credentials. A picture ID flashed to gain access to a secured work area a personalized invitation casually handed to a doorman at a black tie event bars or clover leaves or stars pinned on a uniform silhouetted at a restricted military area credentials they tell you they tell others who a person is they open doors elicit handshakes nods and acceptance to, keep, say, to safe keep and the integrity of credentials, more sophisticated methods of making accurate identification have been invented. there are eye scanners, thumbprint readers and electronic chip decoders. And he concludes by saying, the very best credentials have always been action, not ID, results, not references. And I think that's what makes Jesus. A most effective leader and worth our following jesus wore the title son of god and his accomplishments that we're going to look at in the gospel substantiate that claim i want us to look tonight and, and look and see how we can boast about jesus paul said in galatians 4 6, 6 14 may i never boast except in the cross of our lord jesus christ and jesus proved that he had the credentials that he is worthy of us following. I think it's an ongoing challenge for us to be completely committed followers of Jesus, to understand why he's worth following. So you're going to need your Bibles tonight. Open them to Luke chapter 4. If you didn't bring yours, you can find a, one there in the pew. I want us to look at a couple of passages and see as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, we see several credentials that he quickly reveals to his would-be followers. The first is this, Christ plainly spoke with authority. That's the way He taught. Look there in Luke 4, beginning of verse 31. Then He went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at His teaching because His message had authority. That word amazed there talks about being wide-eyed, open-eyed. He caught their attention. It's like the light was finally coming on the people. They knew this was no ordinary teacher there was something significant, something different about him. And at times we may be guilty of trying to separate Christianity and say, well, you know, it's just head knowledge. You have to know the right thing. And others will say, well, it's all about feeling. It's all about the emotion. But Jesus taught that it was both. Remember his words in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven: 37? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Lewis Foster, a professor at a Bible college, said this, The characteristic most noted about Jesus' message was the authority of the messenger. And Jesus had no greater authority than his own word. His preaching, his healing, the authority to forgive sin, he had it all. But as he taught, you remember how he would say, the NIV says, I tell you the truth. The old King James, you remember the words, Verily I say unto you. Six times, Luke records Jesus saying that word. Foster says this, It was more than just a means of getting people's attention or declaring importance. It was an affirmation of Christ's authority. See, we'll quote a magazine, we'll record, you know, Wall Street Journal. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. And make no mistake, Jesus had the authority, and he still does. We pick up right where we were last month, last Sunday night. Where he was in Nazareth, in his hometown, walked through the crowd, if you remember that. And people thought, sought to throw him off the cliff. But he had authority. And people noticed that early on. A couple of years later, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he said that. One of the last things he said that we have recorded, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We live in a time where people say, question authority. Or even ignore authority. And in the middle of our cultural war about who has the authority, who is it that can say what is morally right or morally wrong? Who can say whether or not life begins at the womb? But Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if you choose to be a Christian and to follow him, you accept Christ's authority in your life. Well, here's the second credential that he very quickly reveals. Christ boldly battled the enemy. And was victorious every time. Look in Luke 4, beginning of verse 33. And I want you to try to picture this scene as it unfolds. In a synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his, of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the men down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. I think that's an understatement that the news spread throughout the surrounding. A guy cast a demon out. People are going to talk about that because that was a significant event. When Jesus walked the earth, casting out demons was considered one of the most powerful miracles to be performed. These demons, these certain uh, servants of Satan brought different results and possessed people to different degrees and for different reasons. And back then to, to be possessed by a demon was considered a hopeless situation. Charles Allen wrote this, when you say a situation is hopeless, you are slamming the door in God's face. I think there's an important application for us today about this whole spiritual warfare. Remember Paul's words, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. How else could an abortion clinic be closed down if it wasn't for prayers and God answering those prayers. Philip Yancey points out although faith may produce miracles, miracles do not necessarily produce faith. And then he goes on to say Jesus never met a disease he could not cure, a birth defect that he could not reverse, a demon that he could not exorcise, but he did meet skeptics that he could not convince and sinners he could not convert. For the forgiveness of sins requires an act of will on the receiver's part. And some who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and forgiveness turned away unrepentant. Today, you may face all kinds of pressures and and problems. Satan may be alive and and, and working in your world. Or maybe our struggle is substance abuse or another kind of addiction issue. Maybe we need to remember... That greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And Jesus still has authority over anything that besets us even today. Well, here's a third one. Christ calmly handled the popularity. He had an amazing way of dealing with people in the crowds. Look there again, back to Luke 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. And they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out into a solitary place. The people were looking for him. When they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. If you keep reading in Luke's Gospel, he recounts exactly what's taking place. Jesus went to this solitary place to pray. Whether he was facing opposition in Nazareth or maybe at the height of his popularity here the crowds of Capernaum. Maybe he was trying to restrain testimony. It wasn't yet time to tell people that he was the Messiah or calling these followers to come after him. Jesus always took time to pray with the Father. You should note that as you go through the Gospels. Here's God in the flesh, and yet he still felt compelled to spend time in prayer, solitude, silence with God. And in a sense of humility, he would quietly get away from the crowds. The popularity didn't change him. He wasn't addicted to that. He wasn't necessarily drawn to that. To him, he came to to help and to teach, but there were times where he personally needed to get away Luke said he went out to a solitary place. That's a foreign concept for us, isn't it? To go to a solitary place. Solitude. Prayer. Who's got time for that? We almost put that in the category of a luxury. Too much to do. I don't have time for that. It used to be if a person missed a stagecoach, they'd have to wait to the next one. Days later, nothing you could do. You just missed it. Today, if we're going somewhere and we hit successive red lights, we get irritated. Like the day's not going to go well. The whole world is crashing in. We live in a frantic, hurried life. I came across this test to discover how fast-paced and and hurried our lives are. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Ten questions. I want you to, don't raise your hand. Just kind of raise a finger. I want you to keep, keep count of how many of these apply to you. So, um, number one, have you ever eaten a meal while you were driving? Of course you have. 30 years ago, that was unheard of. We didn't have cup holders. If you had one, you went and bought one of those that kind of slid into the side. Do you remember those? But even that, it was a, kind of a shaky at, at best. But to eat in the car now, that is just normal. Number two, how many of you ever changed clothes while driving somewhere? Oh, my. I see some heads on That's kind of one of those, you know, if you're in a wreck, how are you going to explain that to the EMT? Well, I was working on it. Number three, have you ever hung up on someone while they're still saying goodbye to you? That ever happened? Number four, while driving, you ever cut through a corner gas station just to get through a red light? And maybe to make it look right, you kind of pull into the tank, I mean to the uh, 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 pump, and you kind of look at it like, I can't pay that, and you keep going. Number five, keep track of these. How many of you have ever parked in an unmarked area around the West 7th building? You know, like in front of the dumpster or, or maybe in front of a, a driveway, on the sidewalk? It happens. Don't raise your hand, just move your fingers. Number six, your normal tendency when you see a yellow light is to accelerate, of course. Number seven, you ever read Cliff Notes for a book instead of reading the entire book? Be honest. Number eight, have you ever thought during a sermon how much longer is he going to go? Are you thinking that right now? (laughs) Number nine, how many of you ever put makeup on or tied a necktie while driving to a special event? Of course, if you're trying to do both, then we might need to talk after we dismiss. Number ten, how many of you have three children who think their first name is, come on, hurry, and let's move it? The truth is, we complain about be in a hurry, in a rush, but there's something about us, we're drawn to it. Isn't that true? Makes us feel important? Gets the adrenaline pumping? I think part of our problem is that we are a, a culture consumed with being on the go. If we have a day off or time off, we almost don't even know how to respond to that. And the first thought is not necessarily solitude with God. No time to visit, no time for solitude we just got to leave before it's over so we can beat the traffic and hurry home. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Way of the Heart, speaks of solitude. Listen to these words. Solitude is the place where ministry and spirituality embrace each other. It becomes like a spiritual property for which we can compete on the free market of spiritual goods. We also think of solitude as a station where we can recharge our batteries Or a corner of the boxing ring. In short, we think of solitude as a place where we gather new strength and continue the ongoing competition of life. And then listen to this statement. It's good to hear. The goal of our life is not people. It's God. Only with Him shall we find the rest that we seek. You know, I'm a people person. Maybe you are too. But people is not the goal. That's not the most important. God is. See, for the most part, the great danger is not that we'll renounce our faith in Christ or turn our back on Him. The danger is really more so we'll become so distracted, so rushed, so preoccupied, so distracted that we're not fully engaged. We're never fully present. We just skim our lives, not really living them. I always think about what's next. But what you read about with Jesus... Even in the crowds thronging him, he would take time for himself to get away to the crowd. He was always more concerned with what was on the inside rather than the speed that people were traveling on the outside. John Knox was a powerful preacher. You may have read about him in church history, but also a man of prayer. Years ago, he was called in before Mary, Queen of Scots, and she was known to have quite a murderous temper. So before he went in, he was warned about how to handle himself and to be careful. How you be careful, be very cautious. You can understand that. I mean, she was the queen. And of course she had this temper. But Knox replied, why should I fear ten minutes with the queen when I've spent an hour with my king? Puts it in perspective. Solitude and prayer allow the opportunity to spiritually recharge batteries so that you can face every day See, Christ didn't just talk about God. He had been with God. And sometimes would even leave the people talking about God to go and be with God. On earth, time and again, we see Him choosing private prayer over public ministry. He needed that solitude. I think it was a lesson for all of us. Well, number four, Jesus clearly understood His ministry. He knew His purpose. He knew why He was there. Look there in chapter 4, verse 43. But Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's why I'm here. That's why God sent me. As a church and even as individuals, we need to understand our mission, our ministry, why we're here. I think anybody should ask you, why are you here? The automatic answer ought to be to glorify God in all that you do. Peter Drucker, in his book *The Effective Executive*, tells managers to ask those that are underneath them or work alongside them, "What is your unique contribution to the organization? What is your unique organization uh, contribution to the organization?" Think about that from a spiritual angle. What is it that you offer God? What do you bring to the table? Your service, your sacrifice, your talents. How can God use you? Jesus said, I was sent here. My unique contribution was to preach the good news. And he looked for opportunities to do just that. Look there in chapter 5, first couple of verses. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. So he was always looking for opportunities where he could preach, where he could teach, where people could hear the gospel message. And he knew that there at the lake was going to be this built-in amphitheater where people could hear him naturally to take advantage of the terrain. And of course he knew that. Because he created it. And he saw the opportunity to teach. J. McGee said, Every pulpit is a fishing boat. A place to give out the word of God and attempt to catch fish. Well, here's one more. Christ totally transformed the unlikely. He gives him one more miracle. In a sense, it's kind of a clincher. Kind of maybe, hopefully, puts him over the hump. And in Luke five, look there in verse four and following. To me, an amazing story. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into deep water." He let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered him, "Master, we've worked hard all night. Haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets." So Jesus says to Simon Peter, let's go fishing. And we read that and think, oh sure, Lord, because we think of the outdoor hobby, you know, the recreation of fishing. But this was Peter's job. He'd been doing it all night. It was time for him to clock out and go home. He was exhausted and it had not been a good night. But Peter says, since you say so, Lord, we'll give it a shot. See, obedience is faith in action. And Jesus knew the future. So He took advantage of the now, this, this teachable opportunity. It's all these possibilities with these two. That if He helped them to catch this fish, maybe they could see themselves in a different light. If they had not obeyed, think about that, if they had not obeyed, they would have missed out on one of the greatest miracles of all their life. Because Jesus challenges this motley crew, don't be afraid, from now on you'll catch men. And a greater miracle than catching these fish might have been... Convincing these men that they would transform the world. That they would be used of God. And to get them to believe it. I'm not certain that we can read the next verse and convey all the implications. Look there in Luke 5, 11. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed Him. Left everything. To me, that scene would be an amazing one for someone to sketch. The boats, the nets, pulled up on the shore, dripped dry for the last time. But as you picture it, I also want you to catch in your mind that huge pile of fish, so big that both boats were sinking. Now think about that as a fisherman. You know what that is? That's a massive payday. It's what that is. And Luke just writes, they left it. Walked away. Left everything. Why is that? Because as one writer wrote, they were given the opportunity to quit changing hooks and start changing hearts. No comparison. Dr. Bob Pierce says, most people never see a miracle because they never tackle anything that takes a miracle. Remember, Jesus can transform the most unlikely. My question is, do you believe that? Because my next question is, what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Who are you lifting up to God for intervention? Is it a marriage? Is it a job situation? A family issue? See, now we're talking this afternoon how you can find a YouTube about anything today. And you can learn a lot watching those YouTube videos. But just because it's on YouTube doesn't mean it's necessarily worth watching or even right. There's some wacky stuff out there. But if a professional plumber tells me something about a project, I'm going to listen to him. If a professional athlete talks about a sport, I'm going to listen. If a successful financial planner says, i got some advice, I'm going to listen. You know why? They have credentials expertise they've been there but if a man speaks with humility at the same time he speaks with authority conquers demons handles the 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 crowd the popularity never forgets his sense of purpose transforms lives but not only that can walk out of his own grave and say i've got some good news for you i'm going to listen He's worth following. Notice these five credentials we looked at are merely just a snapshot, just almost like a day in the life. We didn't cover much text at all. John ends his gospel, 21 chapters, with this verse Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Don't you love that? That's the way Jesus lived. So many things. So you may have impressive credentials, but compared to Christ, what he accomplished, it's like filthy rags, our holiness, all that we try. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Tonight, we want to give you the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ. That begins by admitting Confessing that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let Him wash you clean in, in water. The Bible calls that baptism. You confess with your faith, you believe, you repent. He makes you a new creation. We always have the water ready. Or if we can pray for you in any way, once you come, as we stand and sing.